sung so beautifully by us uh, in 2016, the best of horror so far. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. I'm George Wolf, and we're from MadWolf.com with a special guest today, our senior filmmaker correspondent, Jason Tostevin. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I'm a little surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is going to be fun because we've got our list and you've got your list mm-hmm. and they're very different. They so there are. is a lot. This is going to be great. A lot to talk about. But we want to say thanks for all the great feedback. Last week, we did our sexiest our sexiest horror movie villains. And uh, we got a lot of great response from that. We did. And I knew that what people were going to be pissed off about was that George just has no soft spot for Hammer villains at all. <laughs> Zero. Or Hammer films, really. Right. I'm not the big fan. No. no. And that's what everybody, everybody so I took was some like, heat for that. where's Ingrid Pitt? I mean, everybody. That was it. Nobody. Danning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to know. You know what I thought was funny, though? I really expected someone to suggest that you take sort of shelter that that Rutger Hauer the hitcher was my number one I mean I really thought somebody was going to go check her into some sort of a facility <laughs> but no one no one seemed to be bothered no, by they, that they weren't but I we mean got... people talked to me personally about it they really were a little concerned but I mean online nobody seemed to care <laughs> like intervention style yeah, a little bit, <laughs> like, a little bit. Uh, do we need to have have you seated off somewhere and and we got a great uh great message from Donna uh she actually ca- commented on the Golden Spiral Media uh website uh, which, of course, uh, pr- produces this for us. And uh, she checked in, been listening for a long time. Thank you, Donna. Appreciate that. But she would have included Chris Sarandon from Fright Night. You know, it's funny about that. Is So I saw Fright Night when I was a kid. I love that movie. I love that movie. And I think the thing that I thought was the most horrifying the first time I watched it as a kid was the seduction scene with Chris Sarandon. We were all like, oh, my God, is she going to kiss that old man? We were so bothered hey, by that. Hey, don't forget that. Roddy McDowell. <laughs> well, he doesn't kiss anybody. I'm just saying the raw Sexy. sexual power. Of Roddy McDowell. She does mention, though, she mentioned Viggo Mortensen in The Prophecy, which I did. I mean, I definitely Viggo Mortensen in The Prophecy and then also Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 because mm-hmm. he's just hot. He mm-hmm. just is. Yeah. So I I I kicked that one around, but he didn't make the final cut. But I like where your head's at, Donna. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. And thanks again to Colossal Bandit. He checked back in. What? I know. Colossal Bandit. He's been back. away, Welcome but he's, back. he's been catching up and he just uh, got done listening to the Creature Feature podcast. And I uh, saw that he thought he was going to be disp- disappointed in us. He thought he was but when he, was he got to number two. Why is Alien number two, he said, and then he knew. Yeah, and then he figured jaws. it out. That's right. Yeah. So uh, thank you guys. Appreciate that always. And I think we're going to get some good, end up getting some good feedback from this because there's a lot to throw around mm-hmm. and we'll get right to it. We've got our top, our top five, Jason's top six from the year so far in horror. And there's some goodies. So you want to just start with our number five? Let's do it. And that is a movie called Southbound. Oh, of course in a flat. Guys, car. Why don't you come to our place? This place feels like a bad acid trip. Guys, we have got to go. I'm not going anywhere. Help! I need some help! We're all just trying to find our way home. 
That's life, right? I, as a general rule, don't really care for anthology horror films, which might be why I know. Which might Do you have be a needle wh- scratching sound effect? <laughs> I, mean, I know that's tropey, but what? <laughs> oh, it's true. I don't know why that is. I've never particularly cared for them, uh, generally speaking, and and I really enjoyed this one. Partly because I thought all of the the shorts held together really, really well. The when they and when they circled back in the last short to the first one, they did it. I thought just seamlessly. Um, also, I like the sort of road to nowhere theme in movies that, you know, from Mad Max to everything else. I, I just I, I enjoy that. And then I have a soft spot for DJs. And there is a DJ throughout this. And it's Larry Fascinant, who we love anyway. Hey, I appreciate that, little lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, anyway, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a series of shorts. Basically, these people are on a, a creepy highway in the desert and uh, they probably are in hell or on the road to hell. And and all of the stories that and they're and they're um, they vary. Some are supernatural and, and creepy with sort of these big kind of wraithy monsters kind of chasing you. And others are a little bit more comic. Uh, there's one. Um, these these girls in a band end up sort of on the menu for Satanists mm-hmm. that kind of seem like they're stuck in 1950s. I mean, they're very, all of the films are very unsettling in a unique way that's pulled together well. And I just found the whole experience very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree with you. I am a, um, anthology fan from, from way back and, uh, you know, creep show. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love a good anthology. They're just rare anymore. Yeah. You just don't see them very often. I think the big thing that Southbound had going for it was structure. Mm-hmm. I think this, um, you guys know I come from a, a little more focus on the production side. And uh, <clears throat> I just thought this was a great example of how to transition and weave stories together. And I think the stories aren't that strong, mm. actually. I think the segments aren't. I mean, if you pulled any one of them out on their own, not sure you'd it'd be particularly memorable. This is the VHS class of directors, by the way. Yeah. Almost all of them had a segment in VHS or were related to VHS. The one woman director in this movie was a VHS producer mm. who got her chance to write and direct. And by the way, writer-directors are a big theme for me in 2016. Nice. Um, but I thought the real power of this was structure. It just reminds everybody that structure really matters. Mm-hmm. It's deeply satisfying to humans. That's how you tell a good story. And I thought the transitions were excellent. I loved that they dovetailed each segment into yeah. the next segment. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's a good start. Number five on our list is Southbound. So you've got six, and uh, so we'll start with your number six. Yeah, my number six is a movie um, called Darling that uh, didn't have a really wide release, played at Gateway Film Center. Uh, it's from another writer-director, Mickey Keating. Some people know him from Pod, mm. which was a really good movie. Not a ton of people saw it, but hunt it down if you have the chance. Uh, Lauren Ashley Carter's in this. Oh, you might yeah, remember yeah, her. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, from Jugface and the or woman, the woman, or the Our woman, beloved, the woman. Yeah, yeah, we should have a whole podcast about the woman. Yeah, and, we probably and Lucky could, McGee. If we were to piece together the number of times we've talked about that <laughs> right. film, I'm sure we right. could come up with a full podcast. No, she's a favorite. Yeah, yeah, she's really terrific, and she holds the entire movie. She's in every frame. I think there might be some that she's not in, but she's in. Got to be 98 percent oh, of them. I think so. She, um, re- I thought, really proved herself uh, um, as a performer. And I think uh, we were talking about before we started, I just have the soft spot for people going crazy movies. And, <laughs> and really, that's what Darling's about. She moves into a um, a big, creaky old house, has too much time to herself, and um, and goes nuts. And um, some gore ensues. Uh, you mentioned very 
Polanski esque. Yeah. Real nod to repulsion. Yeah. And also, I mean, the the film style is very Kubrick. Very. That was a great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and it's black and white, and it's a gorgeous movie. Like it's just a really gorgeous movie. And one of the things I like about it is that. There is something in her past that is haunting her, but they don't tell us what it is, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah, I love that you don't ever learn anything more than what you would actually just learn by watching her um, her act- actions, right? So there's there's not this exposition where somebody just Scooby-Doo's it out for you, <laughs> which I love. It does look great. Fassenden makes an appearance as a cop. Um, he's going to come up. He comes up a lot, actually, on this list. It's kind of nutty. Yeah. Um. Um. I. I mean. I. And also, Sean Young. Like, I love. Mm. So, Sean Young has a small but pivotal role mm-hmm. in this, and you never know the lead's name, but Sean Young always refers to her as Darling, which is why it's the title of the mm-hmm. film. Um. So there. I mean, one of the things I think it does really, really well is just the ambiguities that it leaves for you because it doesn't explain anything because it's just dropped you into the situation and you're sort of puzzling through it, which I always find a very satisfying experience. All right, so that's Jason's number six. Uh, moving up to our number four, uh, another one from obviously this year, since we're all counting down this year, it's <laughs> Nina Forever. She was in a car accident like a year ago before we worked here. You're my boyfriend's dead ex-girlfriend. I'm not an ex. You're dead. That doesn't mean we want to break, though, does it? Body. This is one I thought was interesting. The um, the marketing for this film made it out to be a horror comedy. Um, and actually, I think the tagline was like, it's a fucked up fairy tale. So mm-hmm. I went in expecting that. And it's British and British horror comedies are are usually very funny. I mean, they're they sort of do it better than most people do. And it's actually incredibly sad. It's such a sad movie. It is funny. There are very funny things that happen, but it's in and, and the performances are magnificent. So, uh, you know, a girl shop girl kind of falls for this gloomy stock boy at her convenience store because he's suicidal over the actually now quite a bunch of time has passed, but his, his girlfriend died in a car accident. And <clears throat> so the checkout girl and the stock boy hook up. And every time they hook up the ex-girlfriend, the dead girlfriend shows up. It's not a haunting she, corporeally. She shows up mm-hmm. just covered in glass shards and viscera in the bed with in them. the bed with them <laughs> every time. Awkward. Yeah. And so it starts off as like this parable of getting into a relationship with somebody who hasn't actually ended their previous relationship, you know, emotionally, but it, it takes, it's incredibly well-written. It's incredibly well-written and really well-performed um, because it goes in all of these really awkward s- s- directions and it doesn't resolve itself in that sort of condescending way that even good movies like, for example, the Alan Rickman film, Truly Madly Deeply, or the god-awful movie Over Her Dead Body, right? Where <laughs> where the ghost of the ex comes back to help the, the yeah. their, you know, mourning beloved move on. That's not the point of this film. And I love the character of Nina because she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't want not to be here. As she explains to them several times, she doesn't want and and I mean, it's just it's a very complicated and yet very simple, just incredibly well told, really well acted film. So I saw Nina Forever. I liked it. I thought it was a great script. I thought um, my first impression was I'm really interested in the difference between the marketing for the movie and the movie experience. Sure. You know, the marketing is what sells the tickets, especially on opening weekend. Then uh, word of mouth 
is a large part of it after that, but it's still really the marketing. It's the trailer. And to your point, it was marketed as much funnier than it was. Yeah. Really a horror rom-com. You know, a very awkward, weird, necrophilic, yeah. uh, possessed um, rom-com, which I guess we would all be into. But, <laughs> and why not? <laughs> but it really wasn't. You're right. It was very intimate. It was very British. Yeah. In its sensibilities. And um, I, I gave it demerits for that. I okay. just as soon not get... Um, Trojan horse yeah. into a movie. No. And I think we see that more and more. Um, I, I, my main, the main reason this didn't make my list is I just am not sure there was enough there for a feature. Okay. I'll tell you, if they had made a 15 minute short of this, it would have been one of the best of the year. Yeah. But I, I feel that way about certain movies. Sometimes you're like, you know, there's just, there's too much filler here. You know, maybe you could have scaled it back a little bit. So I, I didn't see this, but I know what you mean. Mm hmm. Yeah, but I liked it. It's great. People should definitely watch it. By the way, this was partially funded by Kickstarter. It's nice. becoming more and more a part of the production experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's Nina Forever, number four on our list. And that means, Jason, your number five would be... Number five on my list is a movie called The Invitation, which I think was maybe the best script of the year. Notably for me, it was not a writer-director. And I mentioned this is a theme for me. Generally, what I'm experiencing from writer-directors is really innovative vision, incomplete script, because somebody else did not help them write it. Sure. And I think writer-director, you know, the auteur idea um, lets you play out your entire vision, but you're not, maybe, you didn't get initial training as a screenwriter. So I think they're missing parts. So this was not a writer-director. They were separate. Uh, one director and then two other people wrote the screenplay. This movie is about a man who goes to a dinner party at his ex-wife's house. And um, it is really chilling and very clever. Uh, I don't want to ruin any of the twists because it's a very twisty movie. Um, really ingenious indie production, too. I'm, I, very high tension, but it's all in one house. With the exception of a couple exterior shots, the entire thing's in one house. And I have a really high level of appreciation for that because I know yeah. it costs a heck of a lot less. Yeah, we haven't. <laughs> I haven't seen that of you. Yes, I you reviewed did? it. Mm hmm. Where was I at? <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, Kusama, right, who did um, Jennifer's Body, directed this one. Oh, yeah. And um, I do like what she does, and I like the way uh, the film, once you're inside the house, is, is both sort of fluid as well as being claustrophobic. And I actually, um, I think the script has some, has, has some issues, but I think that uh, the director overcomes a lot of those. And, and again, you're right, there, there's not much that you want to say about this because sort of the slow reveal is important. And the way that she develops tension, I think, is, is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, I, I, it kind of fell flat for me before the end, but um, John Carroll Lynch is in it and is magnificent as he always he's is always i mean great. he's just such a welcome presence in any movie especially a horror movie um so i did like it very much i just don't think i liked it as well as you did yep all right the invitation that moves us up to our number three so far this year uh of the our, our favorite horror movies and that is the trip to hell that is baskin welcome to I remember being so excited about this when we saw the trailer because it just looked batshit crazy, you know, and it pretty much is, especially when uh, you meet that 
jacked up little dude. Oh, yeah. He's hypnotic and freakish at the same time. And man, do things go wrong down there in that house. I like, um, you know, it's a Turkish horror film, and it's the first time I've ever seen a Turkish horror film, so hooray for that. Like, that always gives a movie extra points yeah. for me if it's, like, a new avenue into, like, the horror mindset mm-hmm. of, a, of a nation. Um, and, uh, and, I, and again, just like Southbound, uh, you know, I think I may have a preoccupation with the descent to hell. Like, the literal descent to mm-hmm. hell is, is a, a kind of a big theme for my list this year. Um, and I think, because uh, he takes us into hell, right? Cam Avernal is a writer-director for this film takes us into hell. And that's hard to pull off, right? Because everybody, you know, your own imagination is scarier than somebody else's. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the great things is that you're constantly asking, like, what did I just see? What is going on over there? You know? Um, but again, like you said, the the character that his father or uh, character um, who kind of plays sort of Satan, um, he's like a tiny miniature Michael Berryman. Right. He's like so <laughs> nightmarish that he will be in your head forever. And at the same time, I love him. Yeah, I great. love him. So when he finally has like a one on one conversation with somebody, what he's kind of telling the guy is this is how you can please me. And you can see the guy go, like fighting against the desire to please this man who is yeah. the devil. <laughs> I love this. I love I love this movie so much. Yeah. And just uh, really quick to synopsis, I guess it's a uh, it's a cop's. Right. They get yep. called to kind of for, off the grid for backup kind of. off the grid because you get the impression early that they're not the greatest people in the world. No. Baskin, by the way, is Turkish for police raid. Yeah. So um, they get called in for backup and they find uh, this uh, very bad scene going on and they get sucked farther and farther into it. And then I guess that's all we'll say about that. And frogs. There are a lot of frogs <laughs> in this movie, which is, I think, always a plus. I want to reinforce what you said, Hope. The um, chance to see into another culture's psyche is mm-hmm. really exciting. Yes. I don't. I couldn't find any other Turkish horror movies. I'm sure there are some, right? But none that have made it as far as this one. This is based on a short, really successful short, mm-hmm. and got expanded into a feature. Um, I think the really the thing that I really zeroed in on on this movie one is the Fulci effects. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, very, it is very clearly a Fulci. Homage. The effects are really gruesome and gory, which yeah. I love. I'm yeah. super into the practical, um, and I think what is really special about it is it's really hard to do the descend to hell, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do it. You know, it's mostly lived in video games the right. last ten years, mm-hmm. and really the all the horror video games of note have been this descent into hell story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so hard to do it uh, on the on the screen on the big screen because our imaginations are scarier. And they did a great job. Yeah, and to your point about the effects and the and the gore, I think it really walks that line. Because for me, anyway, once it gets to the point of, quote-unquote, torture porn, like, say, American guinea pig or something like that, I'm turned off completely. Right. I, I don't have any any love for that sort of genre. But this doesn't go there. And, it, yeah, it's incredibly gory mm-hmm. and creepy, but I, I think it's so effective. And also, you mentioned Fulci. The the film, the entire film from the from the opening shot to the end is basically a dream sequence, which is also very Fulci-esque. Um, and um, and I often find those to be unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. I often am just like it just seems very gimmicky to me, but not so in this one. I just think it's a it's a really hypnotic. And, and again, I think to me that I think hell would be like that, where you just keep thinking you're about to wake mm-hmm. up and yet you're not. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. So Baskin is our number three, which brings us up to Jason's number four. But we're going to put that three. on hold because 
we're going to talk about that one a little bit uh, higher up on our list. So right. move back to Jason's number three. Yeah, my number three is a little studio picture called 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I know didn't make your list. Um, Actually, it did. It made our list of the top 10 of the year, just basic films of the year. Uh, we just didn't consider it a horror movie, it, but we can it. talk about that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's a, right. That's a, another one of the big themes for me this year is that it's really been an expansion for the horror genre. I think um, permitted largely by the success of um, Babadook and uh, It Follows mm-hmm. last year. I think people are more willing to give a shot to something that stretches the boundaries of the horror genre. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think in arguing, if we were going to argue semantically for the inclusion of 10 Cloverfield Lane, which some people consider a thriller, I mean, I don't know whether they saw the third act or not. It's not a pure thriller. Right. Um, but thriller suspense has traditionally been folded under horror. Anyway, enough about the semantics. I love this movie. I thought the script was excellent. By the way, I think the reason I thought the script was excellent was this did not start out as 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right, right, right. right. It was not a Cloverfield movie. Right. This was a option script on the shelf that J.J. Abrams found and uh, his company Bad Robot made. And they incorporated Cloverfield universe elements yeah. that aren't really clear until f- far, far deep into the movie. And by the way, that does not that's not a detraction. That's sort of icing on the cake. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. John Goodman is fantastic. Oh He's so great. Yeah. If you had any questions left about whether John Goodman is an excellent performer, this answers them all. Yeah. The other two, I think, were basically unknowns. I hadn't seen them before. Right. Oh, oh Mary, Mary Elizabeth, Elizabeth Winstead. Winstead. Oh, Mary, oh. Right. Of course. Yeah. I'm thinking of the guy. He was on Newsroom. He, he was, was on, good guy Jim on yeah, Newsroom. We, he's we, also in Hush, which you mentioned. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's Jim Gallagher. Is that his name? Yeah. James Gallagher. Anyway. Well, they held their own against John they Goodman. Did. They did, yeah. So, I, and I thought uh, that was great. But another confined space, really high tension, and not afraid to take the really dark turn, mm-hmm. which I no. think for a while we were missing in horror movies. Mm-hmm. But that d- conversation over the barrel, yeah. I'll, nev- <laughs> I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. No, it's a great loved, movie. We, we both loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always bring up the thing I loved as it gets farther and farther into it is the contrast between the two types of monsters, you know, one outside and mm-hmm. one inside. And I have to say, I, I was... Looking around, I don't know how I, I got on this, but I saw somebody's online uh, review or a kind of breakdown of this movie and, and, and the ending. And I was really shocked by, unless I missed something in this guy's uh, analysis, he totally missed John Goodman's purpose, motivation. Mm-hmm. When, he, you know, when he shows up all clean shaven and, and hair combed, that is chilling. It yeah, is. it was. And it's like, no. Actually, you know, it's funny. That, that moment when he shows up, uh, that's the scariest moment in the entire film to oh, me. Oh, man. And yeah, he doesn't have good intentions no. there. Uh, and this one person I was, I was listening, I think, missed that completely because that is, yeah, those are t- there are two monsters. Uh, and That's the real horror story. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, she goes outside, and then you get the payoff. And then it becomes of what's a creature feature yeah. mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. a sci-fi film. So, no, we agree that we definitely love the movie, but you know, yeah, we could argue about why. Yeah, it just didn't occur to me as a, as a horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's okay. So that's your number three, one that we're definitely high on as well uh, for in a different uh, in a different genre. But our number two goes up to the one. Uh, and our number two is actually the one we mentioned, your number four. Mm-hmm. So we both have a lot of love this year for Green Room. Gentlemen, you're trapped. Things have gone south. It won't end well. You can't keep us here, man. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. Shoot who is left. Let him bleed. Get ready to run. Here we go. Careful. 
careful now. That's only all of a show, gentlemen. Yeah, as we said before, this one uh, is bittersweet because of the just incredibly tragic loss of Anton Yelkin a few weeks ago. Uh, because he's he's good in this. He was just a real talent yeah. and so young to yeah. lose him. It was incredibly sad. But uh, yeah, we talked about this uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think, on the podcast. But it's uh, he's a member of a band, a punk band. They take a, a paying gig just because they need a paying gig so badly. It ends up being in a... A skinhead Nazi type of private club. They witness something they shouldn't have, and then they're held captive, and they have to fight for their lives. Right. We mentioned it in our our captive podcast, like yeah. the, the best horror films about being held captive. And um, Imogene Poots. She's like, so that's great. Just, I know. Like every time I think, I really like everything about this movie. I like the structure. I like, but she's and and it's, so it's still we're we're uh, we're carving our way through July. Last the last line of this film is still my favorite last line of any film I've seen this year. <laughs> it's great, yeah, and she's she's great. And oh, Patrick Stewart, yeah. who plays kind of the head ringleader of this playing club, against is type. fantastic. Yeah, he's yeah playing against he's type. So great. And you talk about things being claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. That works here. The the tension, the pacing, the use of color. I think um, those red shoelaces, yeah. how they pop, yeah. uh, in a very frightening way. There's so many things that work well here. Yeah, I think uh, so. Jeremy, it turns out his last name is pronounced Sunye. Yes, my so apologies. I've been mine as well. All yeah. of us have been so. <laughs> Jeremy Sunye. So this is, of course, his follow up to Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to be among those who have cast their vote to have all his movie titles have a primary color. Yeah, in yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'd like that. And then and then he just has to be done. <laughs> run out of colors. That's right. You're done. Yellow Fever by Jeremy Sunye. <laughs> what a master director so early yeah. in his career. Right. Now, what I don't think he is is a master writer, but I think that his direction is some of the best I've ever seen. This movie has the best shock editing I've ever seen. Nice. And it was, and I was having this totally visceral experience of going like, oh, shit, and going, oh, that was incredible. (laughs) How did he do that to me? Um, Really, really shocking, punctuated by brutal such realistic violence. Yeah. You will never look at sticking your arm through oh a door. Oh my God, you're not lying. That's exactly Again. what I was thinking about when you oh said my, that. It was just unbelievable. So obviously we're all very um, effusive about the movie. I just want to say again, he's a writer-director and I do think that it came apart in the third act. I thought he built incredible tension and I did find myself thinking, how's this going to pay off satisfactorily? Mm-hmm. And you can um, pay off without giving answers, right? Some of the best movies do that. This, I thought, maybe just lost its way. It seemed to go down a trail and then kind of peter out for me. So I didn't love the ending, but boy, that doesn't knock it down below an A for me. It was incredible. Yeah, it really was a mm-hmm. great, great experience all the way around. And definitely a guy that you said he's such a, this is only his, what, his third movie? Because he did Murder Party, right? Which then was for then Blue Ruin than this. Yeah. So yeah, definitely want to see he's what. He's going to have to retroactively change it to Red Party. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's all just start that here. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So that's our number two and Jason's number four. Um, so we got to catch up with your number two, correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, my number two, uh, if you caught it, you caught it on Netflix probably this year. Although I know, I think you guys caught it elsewhere is a movie called they look like people. Mm -hmm. Uh, this movie is about man trying to find his way, uh, trying to recapture his own assertiveness and self-confidence when an old friend shows up out of the blue. And this old friend is convinced that there are creatures taking over, Uh, people's bodies and invading earth and what follows is really um 
grounded in the relationship between those two, which becomes the engine for the movie. And I think reproves great horror is always motivated by a relationship in the movie. And um, I think a lot of reviews I've read point out that the, the lead is starts out one way and turns out and you learn that he's much more sympathetic. And I think that really drives the movie. He starts out as a sort of like over bulky workout bro dude who, you know, is using pickup lines to pick up women. And then you discover, you know, he's maybe much more vulnerable in sense of that. And he's trying to overcome it, but really great movie. And then I just need to say, you don't have to answer questions, filmmakers that the audiences don't need answered. And that's what happens in the last 15 seconds of this movie. And if he had ended it 20 seconds earlier, it had been an A plus for me. <laughs> that's all. It's all it took is just cut off those last 15 seconds. I uh, love this movie. I love this movie. Uh, and I think probably, you know, if I thought of it as a 2016 release, it would have knocked Southbound off my list. Um, I, I love this movie. But yeah, I saw it last summer. It was part of... Um, the screening uh, set for London Fright Fest. Oh, that's so, right. That's um, right. So, and the, and the other one I saw at that time, like the same week that I saw this, is called The Lesson. And so if anybody has an opportunity to look that one up, it's another really great uh, low-budget indie horror movie that I didn't think about including this year. Um, uh, and I did. I loved They Look Like People. It's so, it's a beautiful movie, which is a weird, um, I think, adjective to use for a horror film. But the relationship between the two leads is just so tender and touching. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right, Jason, you know, and and they definitely do it on purpose. They introduce these two characters with like shorthand. So you already know, I don't like this guy. He's a douche, Mm -hmm. you know, and this guy, he's like a sketchy homeless type, but maybe he'll be okay. And then, and it was, and then it's like almost like finger wagging, like, you know, don't, don't judge these people automatically because, and then the two actors are so good with each other. And it really only turns into a horror film in the final reel. You're right. Um, but that final reel is amazingly tense, like so anxiety riddled mm-hmm. because, first of all, you've already fallen completely in love with both of these characters. And then because their um, willingness to be vulnerable with each other is just, again, beautiful. Uh, uh, yeah, I love this movie. And it is. It's on Netflix right now. You no doubt probably had no chance to see it in theaters. So you should definitely check it out while it's on Netflix. All right. That's they look like people. Jason's number two. And let's pivot a little bit before we get to our number one, which is most likely not going to be a surprise to anyone. I doubt it. No, uh, let, <laughs> let's go to Jason's number one horror film so far in 2016. So my number one so far this year, and it is with a bullet is called Under the Shadow. It's an Iranian horror film it takes place in the iran iraq war um and this in this uh, apartment in iran where uh there is a mother daughter mother and daughter living and the husband father has gone off to this war and they eventually come to believe that the apartment is haunted by jinn who are stealing their most prized possessions and it gets creepier and scarier and more intense Every minute that passes, I caught this at um, Phoenix Film Festival. It played all the major festivals, got a huge buzz. And um, please make sure to see this movie wherever it comes out. We're going to try to book it at the Film Center. It is a Netflix distribution. It will definitely be on Netflix, hoping that it'll be uh, theatrical. But I was just blown away. Wow! So we have not had the opportunity (laughs) to see this film. And we are excited to see it when it is booked, ideally at the Gateway Film Center. You right. guys should all come out and watch it with us. Yeah, because if we didn't mention, Jason is, uh, among other things, the communications director at the Gateway Film Center, High Street in Columbus, Ohio. The that- lovely people who let us 
record our podcast yes. once a month exactly. in their theater yeah. while uh, we screen a movie. We love right. it. What are so. you talking about? We think you let us have you. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it's yeah. under the shadow. So okay. don't miss it when wow. it comes out. No, absolutely I be- not. I believe I January 22nd is the Netflix date. Okay. I'm hopeful that the theatrical will be, will be before that. Okay. Look forward to it. All right. So our number one, big drum roll. Nobody is shocked. <laughs> So far this year, it was also number one on our all-genre list of the year so far, and that is The Witch. This wilderness will not consume us. Who's there? You've cursed this family. This is witchcraft. (laughs) She placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? Your reign of evil. It's not safe. Not with them. Think how my sense. Obviously, we've talked a lot about this movie, but it's great to have Jason in here because you look at things differently as a filmmaker. I mean, as just as film critics, I know when we get into conversations with with people about movies, say something that's incredibly popular, like. The blind side that, that, that we hated. We end up just having to say, well, you know what? We just watch movies in different ways. Yeah. Now, as a filmmaker, yeah. you watch movies in different ways, even than we do. So I'm interested to get your take on this. Obviously, it wasn't in your list, so you didn't like it as well as we did. So your your take on The Witch. Yeah, well, I can explain why it's not on my list. Let me tell you first, I am ecstatic that this movie got made. Okay. And I am so thrilled that it went in wide release and people saw it. And I really enjoyed parts of it. But I just don't think it was that great of a movie. Uh, and I, when I say that, what I mean is <clears throat> the structure, the story, you know, it didn't really take me on a ride, but it's a great accomplishment. And there are a lot of those movies. There are a lot of movies that are not necessarily a great story or a great movie, but are a great accomplishment. This is a great accomplishment. But if you want to laugh, let me tell you. So this is um, Eggers. With Robert, Robert, Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. Uh-huh. This is directorial debut. He wrote and directed. Again, just making that note. He really only had Brothers, the short, before this, which right. if you saw was great. And I did really... see that, actually, yeah. <clears throat> um, he made this movie because, I want to look at my notes here, because he said his other pitches were too weird and too obscure, and he had to make a more conventional movie. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is Eggers making a conventional movie. Right, right. Yeah. Um, this movie is worth its last five minutes alone. It's one of the most beautiful images I've ever seen. It inspired a lot of conversation. There's so much to recommend this movie. I just it didn't make my list because it's an accomplishment more to me than a than a good old fashioned story. Mm -hmm. But I loved it. You should definitely see it if you haven't. It's worth seeing. I didn't love that people got Trojan horsed again. I I mean, this was everybody read this backlash, right? The common folk who want to go see a horror movie Mm -hmm. who I hold in high regard. Those people keep horror movies getting made. Went to see this and hated it. They did. You know, it's We've funny is that, about that yeah, a lot. Uh, I think that uh, I think the film was really polarizing because so hardcore horror people didn't care for it because it wasn't horror enough. But then the other people who went because it got such buzz at not just the horror film festivals, but the you know just the across the board film festivals, they wanted to see something that was a little bit more like the Crucible, right? And they that's what it is. It's the Crucible meets the Shining is what this film is. Mm. It's it, it is a supernatural film, and I think and a lot of people who went to see it and. It appreciated the quality of the you know the craftsmanship that went into it were pissed off that it wasn't metaphorical Mm. that it was a supernatural film and those people hated that Mm -hmm. last five minutes hated that last five minutes um that's an interesting point and i think um 
it worked for the two of us because we are both of those camps, right? And we loved a film that was able to pull both of those things together. I think the performances are magnificent across the board. Every single one is. And, um, you know, I think probably going back to my sort of very Satan-like theme today that I didn't realize existed. <laughs> so, and I've said this before, um, the end of the film, it's a coming-of-age film. Uh, at the end of the film, basically, you as the audience are really hoping that that goat is going to talk. And that's something you should not be hoping. You mm. should be hoping against it. But this filmmaker has made you hope that she has this shot. This shot of what? Selling your soul to the devil. That's your, uh, you know, that's what you're incurred. And that, uh, to me, is an amazing feat for a writer to have, and a director, to have made us any other horror movie. You're like, oh, my God, I hope the goat just runs off into the woods. And she's, and then then she's what? She starves to death by herself out in isolation. Yeah. That's like her, you know, but, but really, for real, everyone, that is a better really idea is to serve in isolation instead of selling yourself to the devil nonetheless kids we want to talk kids don't sell yourself don't sell to the, the devil yeah, also, okay. i gotta tell you i kind of want to see that movie more than the witch i kind of like that payback that payoff better you know but the other thing is as i'm clearly just unveiling a crush that i have on satan um <laughs> i loved that voice and oh, those yeah. shoes and the every you know buttery oh my god i was like <laughs> give me a pen give me a pen right now yeah um, i've got to think too as a filmmaker you have to, i would i'm not a filmmaker but i would think any filmmaker watching this movie would respect the way it's constructed and it's so authentic and it looks fantastic yeah i i do now i don't know if you a couple of quick stories about the production um he couldn't shoot in new england because there aren't tax credits where he wanted to shoot so he shot in canada couldn't find a place to shoot that had the forest that looked like the forest he wanted Finally found a way out of the play, out of the way place. I mean, this was not an easy shoot. And, you know, he was committed to it. He worked with um, authenticators of the time period, a bunch of them. It's all very authentic, right on the period. So, yeah, real dedication to, to, um, to the craft. And I, I do. I really respect that. It was also endorsed by the Church of Satan. Well, I mean, that's pretty much as far that's as you can authentic. get on a horror movie, I'm not right? Sure I mean, that that's a plus, but it is pretty authentic. <laughs> Their official thumbs up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that is our number one, The Witch, and uh, we talked about Jason uh, working at the Gateway Film Center, but also a filmmaker. So I know you've been around the film festival circuit. What are you working on? What do you got going? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, our latest short is wrapping up. It's called A Way Out. It's been on the circuit about a year. It's going to hit. A we hunt. have both seen it, by the way, and it's awesome. It's, it's very, so good. very good. Thanks, so you guys. Very good. Yeah, I, I, we're really happy with how it came out. It's going to hit about 100 fests in the next couple of weeks and about as many nominations and awards. So it's been really successful. And we're going into production on our new one, which you're going to be really excited about, Hope, because it is about the world's worst Satanist. Nice. Trying to summon Satan and having it go horribly, horribly right. Yay! So, uh, Fulci Gore and a horror comedy. It's going to be really fun. All right. Hey, can I mention a couple of things that are coming please, up at the film yes. center? Yes, and then you can decide do. whether you want to share this or not. So, um, we have been doing um, sci fi sleepovers. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of us being horror fans, we want to do a horror sleepover. We have one scheduled now on uh, July 16th. This is going to be our first test horror sleepover. It's going to be cold. Horror up late. We're going to play The Wailing, which is South Korean. Oh, we just got the screening link to that. We're going to watch that in the next few days. Yep. We've heard is great. Yep. It's going to be really great. Uh, we're going to play Frankenstein Creative Bikers, which if you follow the indie circuit, this is probably the biggest or the second biggest feature. Uh, Jimmy Bickert made this, the guy who made um, Oh God, No. 
And then we're going to have a surprise screening as the very first screening. I can't talk about it, but you're going to want to see it. It's going to be an advanced screening of a movie we're all counting down to. Mm-hmm. I like Hello. the sound of that. All right. So where can people find you online? Uh, www.gatewayfilmcenter.org. And you personally? Oh, me? Hands yeah. Off? You, uh, Hands Off Productions is on Facebook. So if you go to fb.com slash Productions, you can follow along with our trials and travails. All right. Fun. And we're going to be back. For our next edition of Fright Club Live at the Gateway, that is July 13th. We're going to record the podcast live, and we're going to watch Sightseers. Yay, because for some one. reason, I'm all kind of Ben Wheatley this year. You are. You're getting your little, you know, your, your little tangents, and you're off. I do. And we just can't hold you down. But why would we want to? Because it's fun. Um, all right, that's our top. We started with the top five. We veered off. We talked about all kinds of movies, but that's great. A lot of, uh, a lot of things to choose from if you want to go look them up. Remember to hit us up on Twitter. We love to keep the conversation going there. Let us know about our picks. Jason's picks. What do you think? What did we have wrong? What did we leave off? What did we miss? We're at Mad Wolf on Twitter. M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And by the way, on our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Mad Wolf Columbus, we have a link to a brand new podcast we just started doing this week. That's right. Fright Club is not enough. We're not busy enough. We started uh, this week the Screening Room podcast, and that is where every week we're going to go over the uh, new releases, uh, regardless of genre, and we start off this week with running down our top 10 all movies of the year so far in 2016. Kind of the same theme that we're doing here on this week on the Fright Club podcast, but that's our new one, The Screening Room, so you can check that out on our Facebook page. Got a lot going on. Jason, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This is super fun. You guys are the best at this. Thank yeah. you. We appreciate that. Until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. Stay, Stay frightful, frightful, my friends. friends.